All eyes are on whether North Korea will hold a massive public event in time for the 10th anniversary of leader Kim Jong-un's reign. The milestone anniversary is now just a week away, and we got curious about what may be expected of the day. To provide us with some insight, we connected with the Seoul base of freelance multimedia journalist and Yonsei University adjunct lecturer Frank Smith. He joins us on the line this morning. Good morning, Professor Smith. Good morning. Uh, how are you doing this Friday morning? I'm good. Um, it's <laughs> early for me, and uh, you know I look forward to to a busy day. We've been busy here in, in South Korea, certainly with some some tough uh, developments. You know, you're telling me um, it's just the general situation with COVID-19 across the world, sure, but the recent restrictions for quarantine, it's literally having me zoom into my own live radio program. It is difficult. All right. Uh, Professor Smith, based on your expertise, I do have to ask a lot of perhaps difficult questions. But first and foremost, I did want to ask you for an overview of the last decade in North Korea. Um, the country has been continuously elevating Kim Jong-un's political status throughout the years, possibly signaling a stronger solidarity within the regime. Based on your knowledge, do you think all has gone according to plan in the last decade? And I mean, their front has been mm -hmm. united, but how is North Korea doing just ahead of Kim's 10th year in power? Well, I look back uh, to when uh, Kim Jong-un assumed power uh, to to understand our limitations in uh, analyzing uh, much of what's going on inside of North Korea. When uh, Kim Jong-il died, uh, the international community didn't find out for two days. Uh, there was an announcement made by a newsreader uh, wearing a, a black handbook um, and earlier in that day, there was a, a message that there would be that announcement. And she told the world that Kim Jong-il had died two days earlier. Mm. And I think that just kind of um, underscores our limitations in understanding exactly what's going on, especially with the leadership of North Korea. Then when we saw Kim Jong-un take power, when we saw that he would you know, indeed be uh, the next one following his father to lead North Korea. We saw that transition at the funeral, really, how he led um, the hearse, how he led and was shown as, you know, the heir apparent almost right away, even though he didn't, you know, officially take the reins with title and, and everything uh, until a little bit later. Some observers suggested that that demonstrated uh, Kim Jong-un wasn't ready for prime time. This is what uh, actually Christopher Hill said, the um, negotiator, American negotiator with, with North Korea. And there were other predictions that his um, governance wouldn't last. Because Kim Jong-un was very young when he assumed power yes. Uh, yes. rather abruptly. He was 27 at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. And so, you know, there were these, you know, again, predictions that, that the North Korean government was, you know, on the verge of collapse. Things that we've heard previously because of the economic situation there. But what I saw at the funeral was a very organized 
event. And what I saw looking at the transition of governance was a very organized event. We need to look at North Korea as it is, not as how we wish it would be due to our own ideological preferences. Um, North Korea has demonstrated pretty uh, stable control of the country uh, in terms of the Workers' Party. It's been in power for 70 years without really a change in governance. So we need to deal with it as it is, uh, not as as we might wish it to be. In terms of have have things gone to Kim's plan, certainly not. I really believe that, that North Korea wanted to make some type of deal in terms of denuclearization or you know, perhaps North Korea's preference would be arms control, where it would maintain some type of nuclear deterrent, but would change its relationship with the international community and, you know, to initiate that, change its relationship with the the United States. Uh, The best chance for that, I think, was through the um, top-down negotiations that took place between Kim and former U.S. President Donald Trump. Um, but for various reasons, uh, other political forces, I feel, sort of intervened in there, especially on the American side, to to prevent um, any sort of real deal from being made. Uh, we'll actually get to the question of, you know, the future of perhaps a relationship between North and South Korea, clearly affected by other players, including U.S. and China, and not limited to it. But uh, before making our way there, I did want to ask about the notion of Kim Jong-unism in North Korea. There were also recent reports suggesting that North Korea is internally now using the term Kim Jong-unism, just like the former leaders, uh, Kim Il-sungism and Kim Jong-ilism. Early in the current Mm -hmm. regime, as you briefly Mm -hmm. mentioned, it seemed that Kim Jong-un wanted to emphasize that very bloodline. So what does the usage of Kim Jong-unism now, 10 years later, imply? Well, going back to the answer that I discussed from your first question, I think it Mm -hmm. indicates the the stability of of Kim Jong-un's rule. And Mm -hmm. while he's taking uh, his cue from his father and grandfather, you know, we can find contemporary examples of of this type of um, leadership um, in the person if we look just across North Korea's border to China and, and Xi Jinping and the way that he has consolidated um, power in his own self. So uh, I think, again, uh, this shows that uh, Kim Jong-un really is in control and, and North Korea is um, continues to be mm. um, a Kim uh, dynastic dictatorship. Mm. Uh, okay, so it seems that what is clear from what a lot of analysts have been saying, Kim Jong-un seems a little bit more comfortable in his seat, if you will. But I do wonder, what are some of the main policies he's pushing for, especially as the North is looking to unveil its economic development scheme next month? Do they want to really be recognized more by the international community uh, to maybe even play by a different set of roles? Well, I don't know that the international community and that outreach is going to, um, you know, be part of the economic plan, especially right now with COVID-19. In his 
previous speech early this year, um, he indicated a couple things. He wanted to to see the economic management um, reformed in North Korea. He wanted to see a greater push in terms of research, agricultural, agricultural fishing, and telecommunications. And also quite interesting, and I think we've seen this a few times from him, he's admitted the shortcomings of the government and been critical of you know, his own government in, mm-hmm. in ways that we didn't see before. Um, so I, I think that that's quite interesting. But mm-hmm. again, if we look back into the previous main policies of North Korea, Juche and Songun, uh, independence and military um, first, we're going to see that continue. Uh, I think that North Korea is going to continue to, you know, rely on its internal economy and not, you know, look outward too much, and then uh, also maintain that, again, military first um, Mm. policy. I do wonder, because Kim Jong-un is still a relatively young leader, uh, what does the future of North Korea actually look like under Kim Jong-un's regime? Do you think there have been more progressive uh, changes in the country, as some articles seem to suggest? I mean, just as you mentioned, the fact that he was openly critical of its own central government was kind of a different approach. Well, you, we get v- various different reports, as you mentioned. They they can sometimes be contradictory, mm. but uh, I think the sort of open markets or the tolerated markets we see them, you know, allowed to go on, and then we see crackdowns on them. When when we talk about the future under the Kim Jong Un regime, I think we have to look at really kind of limited economic prospects. We've seen, you know. Despite what we might read in the international media, North Korea's economy has grown, you know, mm-hmm. in, in periods mm-hmm. under Kim Jong-un's rule, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly COVID has had a, a, probably a devastating impact, mm-hmm. but still that growth uh, has been limited. Mm-hmm. When I think about, you know, under Kim Jong-un's regime, I think about how's the international community going to deal with the issue of North Korea because for, you know, the situation to change for the North Korean people, I think uh, policy from the international community toward North Korea needs to change. Uh, the same path of, of sanctions and isolation has mm-hmm. been really um, pressed upon North Korea by the international community. Certainly North Korea hasn't done much in their favor, pursuing nuclear weapons and long-range missiles. Uh, at the same time, I feel the international community has to deal with North Korea as it is, not as it wish it, wish it would be. And mm. it's unlikely, I feel, that North Korea is going to give in to the pressure and sanctions and give up um, nuclear weapons and missiles. Still... I- I think the international community has to find a way to open it up and then life can change under Kim Jong-un. The UN panel actually greenlighted sanctions waiver for a UNICEF aid Mm -hmm. project for North Korea. Do you think that helps steer us at least in the right direction to address human rights issues? Absolutely. Any any exchanges that you can make with North Korea are going to help open up the country, Mm -hmm. um, regardless of how, you know, kind of, 
disdainful you might feel about the North Korean government um, developing exchange and cooperation with them is a, is a way into the country and a way to have some influence um, in terms of change there. Mm. So you think it's important to keep those communications lines open to perhaps at even a higher cost and ensure that at least North Korea is part of the conversation? Is that what I'm gathering? Sure, absolutely. You know, mm. any any types of exchanges, family, you know, family exchanges, get Gaesong going, the uh, mm. Mount Gumgang, try to get those those going. Those brought about, I, I think, uh, greater trust building between uh, North Korea, South Korea, and the international community and can pave the way to, to uh, broader negotiations on, you know, the stickier issues of uh, arms control and, and denuclearization here. Mm. Uh, I wanted to also uh, talk about Kim Jong-un's right-hand woman. Uh, what is his sister Kim Yo-jong's role in the regime? And are there any possibilities of her rising to an even higher position? Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's a really tough question. She has been, you know, we've seen in the various summits in particular, her involvement in helping Kim Jong-un. And she had been, you know, discussed uh, periodically, uh, especially when there were rumors of of Kim Jong-un's ill health as Mm -hmm. the heir apparent to Kim Jong-un. But I still think that's kind of unclear. I think her visibility at Kim Jong-un's side kind of wavers a little bit. She's there and very prominent at times, other times um, not so much. So again, I go back to 10 years ago when uh, Kim Jong-il died, and I wonder how accurately we can read the tea leaves in terms of uh, what's really going on, especially in the executive branch of, of North Korea. Mm. Uh, there are, I mean, these were just analyses and maybe one, just one of the many, but, you know, some were speculating that, you know, Kim Yo-jong is used strategically to kind of be the bad cop to uh, Kim Jong-un's good cop approach, if you will. Do you think that has been effective or even intentional from North Korea's regime? Sure, absolutely. I think it's been both both effective and intentional. And, you know, I think other countries do the same type of thing. Um, but... And we've also heard from other um, sort of branches inside North Korea make the most bellicose criticisms of of South Korea and of the United States. And it's best for those to come from, you know, voices other than Kim Jong-un himself so that he can go out, you know, hopefully if and when the time comes for negotiations that won't be um, initiated under the cloud of, of maybe some previous um, harsh statements. Mm. Okay, it's almost as if to protect his international image, if you will, so he does have more of a weight and he's seen in a positive light, it seems. Um, Last but not the least, uh, this week, a Blue House official confirmed that Seoul has been directly communicating with both Pyongyang and Washington on the end of war declaration uh, amid Kim Jong-un's North Korea. What do you think are the prospects for the relations between the two Koreas? Well, I think, again, you know, we've got to look at, at the bigger picture and, and uh, what the U.S. And, and to a lesser extent China wants. Um, Moon Jae-in has been pushing pretty hard for, you know, some type of engagement with North Korea and, and 
you know, uh, the peace building project has been something he's been working on throughout his his presidency. Unfortunately, you know, as close as he got the the U.S. and and North Korea together, they didn't manage to to bridge that last uh, bit of a gap. Uh, I think the end of war declaration is a little bit of a hail mary, a little bit of a last gasp effort to. Uh, you know, get something out of his work and building some trust with North Korea. The U.S. doesn't seem to have so far an appetite to to see that through. There have been more sort of, I think, optimistic re- media reports suggesting that the U.S. had signed on to this. Um, but I'm not so sure. And then again, now that Moon Jae-in is really in the, the swan song of his presidency, I wonder if North Korea is going to be, you know, want to have another sort of display of show that isn't necessarily going to mean that much, especially mm-hmm. going into a new administration um, in South Korea. And that, of course, I think concerns differing political timelines and different uh, agendas that act with a sense of urgency. For example, the new, relatively new uh, Biden administration, uh, they're, they're maybe not under the same time crunch as Seoul. Anyway, yeah. uh, this was actually a really insightful conversation. Um, I, I hope to speak to you again, Professor Smith. Thank you so much for making time out of your busy schedule so early in the morning. <laughs> it's not that early. It's early for me, but not, not I guess, for some of your listeners. Thank you very much. We hope to speak to you again soon. Do have yourself a safe weekend. Thanks. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.